Hey, we're in a series called Leave Your Native Country. We're looking at the life of Abram. He, uh, his name gets changed to Abraham uh, later in the story, but he starts off, uh, we learn of him and discover him in Genesis chapter 12 as Abram. If you want to turn to Genesis 13, that's where we're going to be this morning, following and continuing in this story of God's calling on Abram's life. <clears throat> Leave your native country is the first thing that God calls him to do. Leave your native country, go to a land I'll show you. And Abram believes God. He gets up and leaves. He takes his family, his wife Sarai, and his uh, nephew Lot. And they leave Haran, where they were uh, located at the time God spoke to him. And they headed towards Canaan. And when he got there, God appeared to him and said, This is the land. This is the place I'm going to give you. And, and so Abram worshipped God there. And then last week we saw how Abram, uh, a famine... Um, arose, and so he was pushed out. He had a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of animals uh, and people he was responsible for, so they headed down to Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, he had a test. Um, he handled it poorly. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't do very well, and so he was reprimanded there. Um, if you missed last week, go back and listen to it on our, um, on our website. You can find that message and how uh, Abraham was, uh, was encouraged trained, disciplined by God. This week we pick up the story as he's moving back to Canaan. So uh, would you bow with me and pray as we get started. God, we thank you so much for uh, the privilege it is to be here, to worship together. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, the holy scriptures, which uh, are the living and breathing word of God that speak to us and can uh, pierce into our soul. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through the life of Abram and how you interacted with him. I pray we might learn from that to be able to see when you're working in our lives and how you're working in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we look at following God into changing relationships. Abram has uh, some close relationships around him. And one of the things that I'll tell you is if you step out to follow Jesus, you step out to follow him into the unknown, that there are some changes that you're going to undergo. There will be changes that you'll experience because God calls us, Jesus calls us to move out and follow him. And that moving and following is a constant state of change. There's going to be growth. There's going to be movement in your life away from things that you've done in the past, toward new things. This is the nature of following. Following Jesus takes commitment, right? And it's, it's a life of, uh, of investment. And it, it involves some work and some effort to follow Jesus. And so Abram is discovering that. He physically had to get up and move in order to follow God. And that movement that he experienced is going to bring about some changes in relationships, and that is the case for us as well. Sometimes, as we follow God, we discover that there are relationships around us that need to change. Um, there's a, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, a guy named uh, Samuel Clemens. He's also known as Mark Twain. And he was a, a prolific writer. He's well known. He wrote some, um, some works that are still considered classics. I remember when I was growing up, my dad was a little bit of an artist. He went to art school when he was younger, and he drew a pencil of a portrait of Mark Twain. And uh, he did a great job. It looked exactly like the pictures of him. But, so I remember seeing him around right in, uh, in my home. But Mark Twain was actually very opposed to the gospel. He was opposed to Christianity. Um, he, called it, uh, he called it a slaughterhouse religion. 
because of the belief that we have, of course, in the atonement, that Jesus uh, hung on the cross and died, shed his blood for the payment of our sins. And so he saw that as a negative. He didn't respect Christians. He didn't respect the Bible. He was constantly trying to use his influence to push people and pull people away from that. Interestingly enough, uh, in the course of his life, he fell in love with a young woman named Olivia Langdon, and she was a good Christian girl. She grew up in a good Christian home. And so as he was courting her, he kind of downplayed his opposition to Christianity. And then after they were married, he stepped it up again. Ladies, be careful. Single ladies, be careful. Okay, so uh, this is what he did. And he started to be outspoken again, began to influence their lives together as a couple. And of course, Olivia's life as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian girl. And uh, the Twain family suffered some great reversals. They had a complete, near complete uh, financial collapse. And then they also lost a daughter. And through these difficulties, um, uh, Twain said to his wife, Olivia, listen, if you need to find uh, some comfort in going to church, please go there. Go ahead and worship. You know, if you, if you want to do that, don't just uh, listen to my influence. And she said, I can't go anymore. I don't have any faith left. And the truth is that the influences around us will push or pull us in a direction in life. And so sometimes those relationships need to change. And God's going to lead you into some of those changes. And we're going to see one of those today. There are many reasons that God might change some of the relationships around you. Some of those might be that the person you're connected to and relationship with is influencing you to remain in a sin pattern that you just know God's calling you to get out of. And yet as long as you're around them, you continue to be uh, influenced to continue in that pattern. And so that pattern's got to be broken in order for you to follow God. And so sometimes that means the relationship has got to change or be broken. Um, maybe it's that they're taking too much of your time and energy, consumed in someone that's not interested in going where you're going, and God just says, listen, you need to move in a different direction in your relationships. Sometimes it's because you are leaning on them too much. Because you've had a relationship, you're going to rely on them rather than leaning and relying on God. And so as followers of Jesus, we've got to learn to lean on him, right? He's the source of wisdom and knowledge and encouragement and instruction, Sometimes it's simply that maybe that person doesn't fit into God's plan for your life, the plans he has for you. I don't know, you might think of others, maybe you've experienced others, but Abram leaves Egypt today as we pick up the story in Genesis 13. He leaves Egypt. He has just been kind of spanked by God, okay? Um, When he went down to Egypt, he had Sarai, his wife, lie and say she was his sister to protect himself from potentially being killed by the Pharaoh. And so um, God used Pharaoh, actually, to give Abram a little spanking, say that's wrong, you shouldn't have done that, don't lie, right? And so Abram is kicked out of Egypt, and uh, we pick up the story in Genesis 13, follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 1. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. It's interesting, Abram's just been corrected. He's gone through some discipline, and that's never an enjoyable thing. 
Maybe you enjoy it, but typically it's not that enjoyable. Hurts a little bit, but it's very important. And as Abram leaves and heads back to Canaan, a couple things to note here. One is that he worships God. He goes back to the same place. He stops and worships. An indication of a a commitment to continue to follow God. And uh, maybe, hopefully, and I think we learned from today, that he learned something from this discipline that he's had to go through. But the truth is that God continues to bless Abram. The indication here is that he leaves Egypt with more than he had when he got there. And so God continues to pour out and keep his promise to Abram. There are conditional promises in the Bible that God makes to people, and they're unconditional. Conditional is, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. And uh, God is keeping an unconditional promise that he's made to Abram. I will bless you, right? I will make you into a nation. And so God's keeping that promise to Abram. He continues to bless him in spite of the fact that at times he's going to make the wrong decision. His nephew, Lot, who is traveling along with him, Lot was gaining because he's traveling with Abraham, or with Abram. He's gaining, he's benefiting from being with Abram. He's growing wealthy as well. Abram is gaining wealth and possessions and animals, and, and so is Lot. When it comes time, though, we're going to see in the story here today, that it comes time for Lot to show respect to his uncle Abram. Lot showed disrespect toward Abram instead. Let's continue reading um, in verse 5 of Genesis 13. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot, with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. So we got a problem here. Abram's got a lot of mouths to feed, so does Lot. They're living together. They leave Egypt, kicked out of Egypt. They went there for provisions. They get back to Canaan, and uh, the land can't support them. And here's a situation where Lot, the nephew, again was benefiting from the relationship with Abram, from traveling with him. God was blessing Abram. He is pouring out blessings on him. He's multiplying what he has. Lot gets to partake in that as well. He is acquiring more things. And, and we have a problem here in that the land can't support all of them. It was an opportunity for Lot to handle the situation correctly. And yet, um, he doesn't handle it. He's disrespectful to his uncle when he should have been respectful. He was getting rich. He was benefiting from what Abram was allowing him to enjoy. Abram was sharing the wealth with him and the blessing. And Lot, instead of being respectful and handling this dispute, he doesn't do anything. How do you handle being disrespected? Uh, it can be difficult. Does it, um, do you handle it with a sense of security and certainty about who you are? Or do you handle it with insecurity? Do your insecurities rise up? Can you handle it in a healthy way? Or do, does uh, unhealth Uh, come out of you and how you deal with it. How do you handle being disrespected? I hope you didn't take it personally, preacher, an embarrassed woman said after a church service, when my husband walked out during your sermon. I did find it rather disconcerting, the, the pastor replied honestly. Well, it wasn't out of any disrespect to you, insisted the woman. 
Fred has been walking in his sleep ever since he was a child. <laughs> how, do you, how do you handle being disrespected? Lot has gained um, all that he has, in all likelihood, from Abram, at least the, the majority of it. And yet a problem comes up here, and as a nephew, he should have acted respectfully to his uncle. He should have taken responsibility for the situation, done something about it, but he does not. Some ways to show respect. We can look sometimes at a person's behavior, wrong behavior, and learn from it, right? So what could he have done? What should he have done? Well, Lot should have been the first, and this would be the lesson to us, be the first to address any problem and take responsibility for it. Lot could have gone to, and he should have gone to his uncle, said, listen, there's a problem here. Um, my herdsmen are fighting with yours. I'm sorry about that. You know, the problem's been created because you know, I've acquired so much. You've blessed me. Uh, you've given me so much. You allowed me to get it. Let me, let me take responsibility for the problem. That's the way to show respect. He could have offered a solution that required the cost to him, not to his uncle Abram, Right? That would be showing respect. He could have said, listen, this is my problem. It's because I'm here. We're, we're the problem here. So we're going to fix it. We're going to solve it. I've, I've discovered a solution here, and here's what it is. And he could have dealt with the problem. That's respectful. Show gratitude to them, uh, to the person that, um, that you're, you're respecting. Show gratitude to them. Be overly generous as you say thank you. And say thank you a lot. Right? These would be respectful ways that Lot could have handled it, but Lot's lack of character creates a problem here. The situation and Abram must address it because it's got to be addressed. And how will he deal with the problem? Last week, um, he acted selfishly in dealing with a problem. How's he going to do this? Abram had dishonored Sarai in Egypt, his wife. He had tried to take the matters into his own hands to deal with the problem in his own way. Having been corrected, though, last week, he faces another test. This week, how's he going to handle it? Abram demonstrates his faith has grown as he handles the problem. Let's continue reading the story in verse 8. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any selection of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. And if you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Abram is demonstrating some growth here. I see him. It's the way I see it. He comes to another situation, another problem. He could have handled it like he did in Egypt, but I see in him some different character coming out here. A different response. Rather than grabbing a hold of it, rather than pushing Lot out, rather than dealing with it, there's lots of things he could have done as the patrofamilias of the family, the man in charge, could have handled it in a lot of ways. But he chose to handle it tactfully, and I think there's some things we can learn from him, some character traits that we, come, uh, that we see coming out. One is that he demonstrated a peacemaking approach. Peacemaking. Abram takes the initiative and he's attempting here to keep the peace. He doesn't go out in a way to create more conflict, but he goes out in a way to try to bring peace to the situation. How do you do in the middle of problems and conflict and situations that bring in peace? And come in with a heart that says, hey, let's work this out. How do you do with that? 
It can be tough. We all have our different approaches. There's situations we can get frustrated with. But can we come with a, a desire to make peace? That's powerful. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, right? It's important to be peacemaking people. And so this is a character trait we want to grow in. And Abram reflects that. Secondly, I see here some humility in Abram. He didn't need to put himself first in the situation to solve the problem. In Egypt, he had put himself first, right? He said, listen, I'm going to protect myself, and I'll put my wife at risk, anybody else at risk, I don't care. i got to protect myself. But here, he reflects an attitude of humility. It isn't all about him. It's not about him getting the best and the most, right, in this situation. Humility is so valuable because it allows us to take a step back. It's a very difficult uh, character trait and attribute to grow in our lives. Winston Churchill was once asked, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech, the hall is packed to overflowing? He said, it is quite flattering, replied Sir Winston. But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd, the crowd would be twice as big. <laughs> How do you stay humble? I mean, humility is one of those tough traits. If you think you're humble, proof you're not, right? And if you think you're growing it, oh, I finally got some humility, you're further away from it. I mean, we've got to have people in our lives that we can trust to speak to us and speak into our lives and let us know because it is a hard thing to see. But we've got to be growing in it. Again, this is a character trait that God wants us to grow in. He's trying to build us into our lives. If we're going to become more like Jesus, Jesus was humble, right? He was humble, God of the universe, creator of all that there is, and he was humble. So we want to acquire humility. Abram also reflects generosity here, generosity in how he handles the problem. He says to Lot, listen, um, we're having a problem here. There's not enough land for us. You look at the options here. You look at what's available. You choose. And if you choose A, I'll choose B. And if you choose B, I'll choose A. No problem. You get the first choice. And he, uh, he represents here a generous spirit, a desire to continue to bless his nephew, even though it was causing a problem. It was causing a problem for him to feed uh, the mouths that he was responsible for, but he's still generous. And that shows a lot in Abram. He's beginning to discover and realize that God is blessing him. That the reason that he has so much, the reason that his, his, he's prospering is because of God's goodness to him. And it's important to be, uh, to be generous and to grow in generosity. Shows a thankful heart. It shows that we're, uh, we're understanding that what we have comes from God. And that it's been given to us and we're stewards of it. And so we grow in that generosity as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. It's uh, important, though, to be careful. <laughs> uh, to uh, might be a little wary of somebody that's overly generous. Sometimes it's not um, absolutely sincere. Um, when a 67-year-old carpenter, Russell Herman, died in 1994, he included in his will a staggering set of bequests. Included in his plan for wealth distribution was more than $2 billion to the city of East, uh, East St. Louis, another billion and a half for the state of Illinois, two and a half billion for the national forest system. Top off the list, Herman gave $6 trillion to the federal government to help pay off the national debt. Man, that's good stuff. 
The problem is when he died, all he had was a 1983 Oldsmobile to his name. Yeah, um, be, be careful. It, and, and for the record, it's not being generous to give away things that aren't really yours. But, um, but we, we need to grow in generosity. Learn to have a heart of generosity. And Abram coming off uh, uh, and growing in his relationship with God, I think we see that in him here. Last thing I would note in Abram's response here and how he's handling this test is that we see in him a trust in God and a growth in that. Trusting God to do what he said means allowing God to control the situation. Again, Abram could have tried to control this like he did Egypt, and yet uh, I see in him here a willingness to uh, allow God to have a, a, a say in what happened. Certainly that meant giving Lot a choice, but essentially he's willing to have the situation out of his control and trust that the right thing is still going to happen. If God has promised him the land of Canaan, that he's still going to have it. And he's not going to lose it by doing what he's doing here. And so there's some wisdom in how he handles it, but I think there's also a reflection of a trust in God. We've got to be growing in our faith, in our trust in God, in order for us to grow and to be able to uh, continue to follow him, to accomplish the mission that he's called us to. This faith, life of faith, is absolutely essential We can go for years as Christians and really be trusting in other places for a provision, trusting in other places to handle our problems. We've got to grow in this trust in God himself as we interact in life. Story is told of an old man who was wandering in the desert looking for water. He has nothing. Um, He's dying of thirst. He approaches an old shack that he sees, and on the porch there's a gallon jug of water. Next to, or there's a note on the gallon jug, um, because there's a, there's a pump right next to it. And it says, pour all the water down the pump to prime the pump, and then you'll have all the water you need. Well, of course, his first instinct was to drink the water. But he obeyed the instructions. He dumped the water down the well, began to pump, or down the pump, started to pump. And sure enough, water came pouring out. He had all the water he needed. Our first instinct when God asks you to trust him is going to be do the opposite thing. It's going to be do what you want to do, what you feel like doing, what everything in you tells you to do. And yet to learn to trust God, to grow in that, is to follow the instructions. Not to do what your instincts tell you, but to live by faith, to trust God, to listen to his instructions, believe them. Even if you don't believe them completely, completely obey them. Because that's how you're going to learn that God truly is the one who's going to follow through and what he says is really going to happen. Abram placed his future in God's hands and he allowed Lot to choose which direction he wanted to go. Abram shows us that he's grown in his relationship with God. The trials that he's been through, the tests that he's been through, he is learning, he is gaining, and that's encouraging We need to see that in the life of Abram and take heart. We need to be reflecting that same movement and growth. And sometimes we need a couple lessons to learn, right? We need a couple tests to learn a lesson, but we've got to be reflecting that growth and change, that willingness to embrace what God's telling us and to move forward with him. Your relationships around you, the relationships that you have, change at times because the person that you love 
The person that you're close to, you've been in a relationship with, chooses to move away from the promises and direction of God. In our story today, Lot chooses to move away from God's blessings. Abram has put the choice here. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Let's continue reading in verse 11. Lot took a long, time, a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. So Lot chooses to move to Canaan. He moves out of the land of promise, out from under the blessings of God, out from and away from the blessing of being uh, near his uncle or in relation with him, and he moves away. And he goes to a place that represents certainly prosperity. The land is well watered. He sees plenty of uh, grass and plenty of um, provision. And so that certainly was part of his decision. But don't, don't mistake the fact that he moved there as just a desire to be in a place where it was more well watered. He was also interested in being around the culture and the peoples that lived in that area. He was drawn towards the wickedness and the sin of Sodom. And so he moved that direction. He chose to move away from God. There are times that you're going to be in a relationship with somebody you're going to know somebody and you're going to see that happen. Where instead of moving towards God, they make a decision to move away. Um, when I was in college, uh, Mary and I had a couple of friends, um, Dave and his wife, I'll call them, and we got to know them pretty well. I worked with Dave on a construction crew. We were framing houses in Omaha, and we worked together a lot. We drove to work together and home. We had a lot of time to talk. We hung out together as couples and got to know each other, and we were both in Bible college, growing and learning we had a lot of discussions about spiritual things, and uh, we graduated about the same time. I think he was done a year before I was, but we move away, and he was from out east in Ohio, and he moved back in that area, and I think became a teacher, but he was, uh, you know, life was going. They had kids, and, and Mary and I, of course, made our life here in Nebraska, and we were having our family, and at one point, we found out that his wife had um, been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And that she was struggling with that. And we kind of knew about that. Mary stayed in pretty close contact with her. And, and so uh, as that battle went on, um, it was not going in the right direction. And soon we kind of heard that uh, it was likely that she wasn't going to make it. And that the tumor would, just wouldn't stop growing. And they couldn't get, anything, get, couldn't get it to react to anything. And so we um, decided to go out and visit them and see them. Not knowing what was going to happen. And we get out there. And, uh, and I start to discover that my friend is really having a crisis of faith. And he's really struggling um, with his uh, belief in God. I mean, all the way down to everything. And he's, he's upset, he's hurting, but he's also um, coming to the wrong conclusions in his mind regarding what's going on. And so I get a chance to talk to him, and I'm going, Dave, man, what, what's happening here? And we talk through things, and I'm trying to be a good listener and not just, you know, preaching him. I know he's in a tough situation, and I can be understanding of that a little bit. But at one point in the conversation, as he's talking about things, the conclusions he's coming to and the direction that he's going, I just said, Dave, 
I just got a question for you. Are you doing what you're doing? Is it a move towards God or is it a move away from God? Has he kind of been justifying what he's doing? And he stopped for a minute and he said, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I said, okay. Well, we left uh, after spending time with them and soon he revealed he'd been having an affair and he ended up divorcing his wife who's dying of brain cancer, tumor, and moves in with another gal from work and um, it's hard to watch, hard to understand. What are you doing, Dave? What's going on? And uh, the, the crazy thing is, I know part of his probably decision-making was the belief his wife was going to not make it. And so, of course, after all this happens, uh, the tumor goes into remission. She's still alive today, doing pretty well. And uh, listen, it can be hard to watch that stuff, watch those things happen. Um, when friends and people that we know make a decision to move that way, move away from what God would be telling them to do, um, it's hard. It's deflating. It can feel sometimes like there's a rejection of us. Like, what, what did I do? Why are you moving in this direction? Could I have said something? Could I have done something? And we take some responsibility for it, and we can feel bad about it, and that sense of rejection uh, can, um, can really weigh on us. Rejection, when it comes to walking the spiritual life, walking with God, and the things that happen around us in relationship, we kind of need to uh, grow in our ability to handle rejection and the feelings of rejection that can come. In uh, 1854, the Illinois legislature, using an obscure statute, sent Stephen A. Douglas to the U.S. Senate instead of Abraham Lincoln, although Lincoln had won the popular vote. When a sympathetic friend asked Lincoln how he felt about it, he said, like the boy who stubbed his toe, I'm too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. Look, uh, rejection's tough, and we uh, experience it. We're going to, and if you walk the walk of faith, if you follow God, just like Abram experienced, sometimes it's someone close to us, sometimes it's just a friend, but irregardless, we're going to see this happen. We're going to experience it we got to begin to deal with that sense of rejection and walk with strength, not be pulled away in the direction that our friends are going, even loved ones at times, but stay on the path that God's called us to. And yet, how do we deal with it? Well, I think here's some things that we can do when someone we love moves away from God's path or they're struggling to walk it. We continue to pray for them and intercede for them and ask God to move in their life. We can keep track of them to a certain degree, you know, follow what's happening, how are they doing, and, uh, and stay in contact to a certain degree. We can look for opportunities to serve them or to love on them or to encourage them. We can also keep encouraging them by speaking the truth in the situation. A Abram does not give up on Lot. We're going to see in the weeks to come that he doesn't. And yet Lot's move continues to be uh, away from God in, in the direction that he's headed. God sees, Abram comes out of this test, and Lot chooses his spot and moves away, and um, Abram has, has done a good job, I think, in this case. He's handled it well. And so, I want to encourage you that God is going to show us here, God sees what Abram does, and God also sees when you pass tests, when you do the right thing, when you handle things the right way. And God does reward that faith. 
We see it here in Abram. God rewards Abram's trust in him. Let's continue reading in this story in verse 14. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look, as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west, I am giving all this land to you as, or I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk, go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to the Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. Lot leaves, and that's got to be uh, discouraging to Abram. Lot leaves, and he chooses another path, moves away from the promises and blessings of God. But as soon as he does, God speaks to Abram. He reaffirms his promise to him. He says, listen, Abram, I've given you this land, and uh, that promise stands. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to make you a a family. I'm going to give you descendants that are so many, you won't be able to count them. And so God reasserts his promise. He appears again, and he affirms Abram and his handling of this situation. I think it's awesome that Abram uh, follows this by building another altar. That's three altars that he's built in land of Canaan so far that are being, uh, we're being told about. That is his public worship. That is his uh, assertion and determination that this land, he, he's in the land of Canaan. God's given it to him. He's called him there and he goes, this land is going to belong to God and we're going to worship the God, creator God, the God that called me. We're going to worship him here. It's who we are. It's who we're going to be. And we're going to continue to walk in that. God is paying attention to you. He's watching how you live your life. And I know there's days and weeks probably where you feel like you're failing more than you're succeeding. I know that. But I also know that there's some tests that you're passing. There's some growth you're experiencing. I want you to know God sees it. He's watching you, and he's going to reward the steps of faith that we make. There's a preacher that died. He went to heaven. He noticed that there was a New York City cab driver that had been given a higher spot in heaven than he had. And he was a little frustrated by that, so he went to St. Peter. He said, St. Peter, what's the deal here? This cabbie has got a higher place in heaven than I do. And listen, I know God knows that I loved and served my congregation for my whole life, man. I worked hard at this. Why does he get a better spot? And St. Peter said, well, listen, uh, Pastor, here in heaven, um, our um, response, our reward system is based on uh, effectiveness or results. We reward results. And so he said, what happened, Pastor, when you would preach a sermon on Sundays? And Pastor thought a minute, and he kind of honestly had to admit some people would fall asleep when he would preach a sermon. And St. Peter said, exactly. When his cabbie drove his cab and, and hauled people around New York, not only did they stay awake, they prayed. Hey, uh, maybe the rewards won't work exactly that way. But, but listen, um, uh, God does see what we're doing. He does see what you're doing. He sees that you're in the fight. He sees that you're making effort. Sometimes we've got to experience correction and some discipline to get us turned the right direction. Because we can go the wrong way, and there's times we do. 
But God sees the effort that we're making and he does notice and he will, he does reward now, but he will reward in the future. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's imprisoned in Rome, writing to a young pastor named Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, he says these words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Abram reflects growth. God appears to him. Abram, I'm with you. And I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And God sees what you're doing. He sees the efforts that you're making. He knows that you've been called to follow him, right? You responded to that call, and you're moving. And God says to all of us, continue. Continue on the journey. Don't let anything throw you off. Don't let anything get in your heart and mind and discourage you or pull you away or cause you to doubt over a long period of time. We all have doubts from time to time. Get with somebody. Get it figured out, right, so that you can stay on the path, so that you can stay on that straight and narrow path that leads to the place God wants you to go. He's calling you. He has called you. And do you know what a privilege it is to be called by God? To be called to follow him. Most of the people in this world walk through this life, kind of muddle through this life, pursuing and chasing things. The best that you can do, if that's all you believe exists, is this earth. You chase stuff and you chase things and no matter how much of it you get, when you die, it stays here. And yet God calls us into a life of following him where he says, listen, you can do something that can last for eternity. You can invest in someone, in something, in my work, and it can last forever. That's the privilege. That's the high calling that we're called to. And so I just want to encourage you, stay with that calling. If there's somebody here that hasn't yet responded to that call, you know God's calling you but you haven't stopped yet and responded, I just want to urge you this morning to respond. There's a God that loves you. His son Jesus died for you to pay the penalty for your sin so you don't have to spend eternity in hell separated from him, but you can be connected to him now, live for him now, and you can spend all eternity with him. Did two funerals this last week. And uh, listen, the truth is that we, none of us know what the day is that God has numbered for us when our life here is going to end. And the question is, have you responded to the call of God? Have you gotten with him? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you know for sure that if you were to die, you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven? You can know that. You can know that if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done. The call of Jesus is to follow. It's not a call just to believe, though that's where it starts. It's a call to repent of your sins. It's a call to move towards him. And a call to follow is a call of commitment, right? But I want to call you to it today. God, I thank you for the call that you put on our lives. The way that you call to us, whisper to us at times, and say, come and follow me. 
Father, I pray for each person here, those that have put their trust in you, that you would continue uh, to keep them on the path. God, may they continue to choose each and every day to get up and follow you. And Father, if there's someone here that has not yet put their trust in you, they haven't yet answered your call in their lives, I pray that right now in this moment, they would place their faith in you, believing that what you've done for them is enough. That when your son Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that he paid for their sin. Father, move us to a place where we have new life, where we're walking with you. Keep leading us to accomplish what it is you have for us to accomplish in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name.